Sit your ass Sit your down. Ass down. Sit your ass Sit down. down. Let's talk about, talk the, about suffering. the suffering. It's time to start the pain. The pain. Sit your ass Sit down. Your ass down. We're born with a glass that can hold a lifetime of suffering. Time moves on and pieces of our lives begin to fill the glass. One by one, we accumulate sorrow, trauma, loss, anxiety, pain, and so much more. We're stuck in this guessing game to see how much suffering we can handle before we break. Police are born with a glass that appears no different than anyone else's. They accumulate suffering at a different rate than most. The average person will see one, maybe two critical incidents throughout their lifetime. Police on an average 20-year career will see upwards of 800. Now take the worst day you can remember and multiply it by 800. I'm Kevin Donaldson here with Mike Felace, and on this episode of The Suffering Podcast, we sit down and talk to a ver- talk about a very important subject to us. It's going to be a subject that's at epidemic levels, that has no sexual orientation, no gender, no race, and we're talking about blue suicide. And we're here with Kathy and Erica. Um, they have a lot of experience in this. This is why we brought you in. But before we get into anything, I want to thank our marquee sponsor. That's Toyota of Hackensack. If you're looking for a car, go to toyotahackensack.com. Let them find you a car. I trust them. Mike trusts them. And I'm telling you right now, Kathy and Erica, you're going to trust them. So if you're looking for a car, go to Toyota of Hackensack. Tell Uh, them Kevin sent you. Tell them Kevin. (laughs) Tell them them your friends of the Suffering Podcast. Trust me, they're going to take care of you. And I strongly suggest you do it because try to find a car these days. Good luck with that. Before we get into anything, I want to welcome you both here. And I also want to talk to you about our social media question of the week. We Each week, we take a question from our audience, and we let them interact with us. This week's question comes from Janine. says, what are some subliminal ways people ask for help? Kathy, I'm going to start with you. So what do you think are some ways that people might not come out and ask you directly, but they might kind of ask for help without asking for help? I want to say, um, for example, I have a friend who was just involved in a DUI not too long ago. And um, it always comes back to him because um, his attitude, um, he's a little negative. But, you know, me, I, I guess it's like the, the mom in me. And um, I always try to bring out the best and always try to bring that positivity to people, even though sometimes I'm negative myself. But If you um, told me you were positive all the time, I'd call you a liar. You say you're full of exactly. shit. I was going to say, but this, this guy's a strong guy that's been through a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause we yeah. know who you're we, talking about. We know who you're, yeah, talking, we know about. Who you're talking about. And he's one of our dear friends and, yeah. and we love him dearly and we love him dearly. But I will say this, it's easier for a man to come to a woman and ask for help than it is for a man to a man to come to help, come True. for help. Even though he doesn't really ask for it directly, but, um, he because he's a guy, to he's not going to do yeah, that. Yeah, and I see it. I see he's suffering and stuff like that. So, you know, I try to give him advice. Thanks for the know. plug, too. I like huh? that. What? Th- thanks for the plug. He was he's suffering. suffering. <laughs> <laughs> you're on the suffering podcast. <laughs> yeah, but that's good, though. It's good that you, you're a sounding board for somebody. And we all need that in our yeah. life. Somebody who we can trust with our innermost feelings. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I ain't trusting this guy with my innermost feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Bury me. Put it out on social media. Hey, guess what happened to Kevin today? Listen, I'm taking notes. I got some book I'm going to write. <laughs> the, the inner workings of Kevin Donaldson. That's It's going to be an abstract book, though. <laughs> Erica, I know we, we've met before, but we've never really spoken. She so, spoke to me. She just didn't want to talk to you. I don't I don't blame her. It was, <laughs> I, I get it. I, I'd speak to somebody. I'm like, hey, come on the po- Sovereign Podcast. Uh, Erica, if you had to look at certain ways you've been you've been to facilities where people need some real help what do you think are some subliminal ways somebody might ask for help without asking for help um well starting with work i would say that on the job you notice the first thing i notice is somebody you're a police sergeant correct yes yes uh just being disheveled 
somebody unshaven where they used to really care about their looks. A little bit um, of apathy. Right. Yeah. Uh, you notice either weight loss or weight gain. And just the things, like Kathy had mentioned, the things they say, they're just much more negative in their comments. Or if they were, it could go either way. I've seen people who just become the clown and are always the life of the party and those they're suffering the most. And then I also see the ones that used to be funny that now are very dry and like sarcastic. And you can just see everything they say has just a dark tone to it. So it's kind of like the tears of a clown, and then you have those that withdraw. Right. So which one Which one do you think you would be? If you were really hurting inside and really suffering, are you the withdrawing, or are you the tears of a clown? I've been there, so I withdraw. You withdraw? Yeah, I don't answer the telephone. Or... Can you teach Mike how to withdraw? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'm going through the withdrawals. I'm going to have to charge, but yeah. <laughs> hey, now. Mike, we, we've seen so much suffering, and we do reach out to people who are really in crisis, uh, who have asked us directly for help. But what do you think are some, maybe some subliminal ways somebody might come to you and ask for help? Like I said, a change of attitude. It could be something as simple as just like the look on someone's face. You know, you, you see that look of like someone's just distraught. Like you see it in a dog. You ever see like a dog when they get scared, they just have that ears back, tail down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, You look at body language. Yeah. Check out someone's body language. You know, like you said, someone comes into work, happy, go lucky one day. And the next day they're you, know, you just see them getting closer to the ground as the days go on. Even though it's no secret that Mike and I are, we're, we are family. As much as we break each other's chops, we are family. So Mike is that one person in my life who is my sounding board, who knows a lot more about me than I let out. So we talk more than I ever want to admit. We're not gay yet. <laughs> we're not gay yet, but it, there was that one time. But you know, yeah, but you can't count. That but nobody was we watching. Were, we we were drinking. <laughs> we were under the influence. But anyway, so I know from the frequency that we speak, I know behavioral changes in him. I'll see how he's carrying himself or whether he's not communicating. Mike's a withdrawal guy. I know that. I know that right away. <laughs> we didn't talk all day today. Yeah, I know because you had shit going on. And I know <laughs> what was going on. But Mike's a withdrawal guy. So if I don't hear from Mike in a, in a day or two or a day. I'll call him up. I'm like, and it's real simple because you don't want to, you don't want to pry. You don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable. I say, bro, what's going on? You all right? He's like, yeah, I'm good. And usually he'll let it out. He'll say, you know what? You know, I got this going on and I got this going on, but we know each other well enough to do that for somebody else. Again, Mike, I have to, I have to give you some credit on this one. It's body language. I look at body language. I look yeah. at how your eyes look. People who don't look you in the eye. I'm a, I'm a big look you in the eye type of person. If they're not, if they're looking down, I, I don't really trust people who don't look me in the eye anyway, but uh, that body language is really important. So Janine, thank you so much for sending that one in. Before we go any further, I have to point this out. So our good friend, Charlie Cifarelli, just came out with his book, 14th and 2nd. It's available on Amazon. Char Charlie, if you don't remember, was on our episode sometime, uh, one of our, our show some time ago. He was the father, I hate to say owner, but he was the father of Star of the New York Pitbull. This book, now I would have read this book no matter what, because Charlie's my friend. But I will tell you, I'm about halfway through this book, and you can see here, just so you know I'm not full of shit. This book is second to none. It's probably one of the best books I've read in years. It's got me captivated, and I, I really do wish it was on audio. It would have been done three times already. But yes, go look for this on Amazon. Support our friend Charlie Cifarelli. Yes. He sits on our, sits on our board of directors for Dennett Development Project. So... Um, it's a fantastic book. You're going to learn a lot about him, stuff that you don't already know. So we got two people, Mike, in here <laughs> that the names could appear on a marquee above a gentleman's club. Oh, and I hate to, I hate to say that. <laughs> we talked about it. Kathy Angel and Erica Blue now appearing on the main stage. See how the ring, it just rolls off the tongue. But I'm not doing that to offend you. Uh, you do have very catchy names, and I, I'm sure that serves you well. Wasn't because, that your nickname in college, Kevin Blue? It was Kevin Knees. Oh. <laughs> oh, my God. It was Kevin Knees. So, Kathy, we started with you with a social media question. Erica, I want to start with you. I want you to tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Um, so Always uh, the hardest question. Uh, Tom's, yeah, toughest yeah. question ever. I'm on the board for Blue Suicide. Uh, moment of Silence. And Moment of Silence. Yeah. Um, sorry. Um, I'm a little nervous, so bear with me. Don't be nervous. Um, he makes um, you nervous just because... It's my good looks. Yeah. 
Um, so I'm a sergeant uh, in a town here in Jersey, and uh, I've been on for 21 years now. Uh, three years ago, I went to my first rehab in, um, are we allowed to say the names? Sure, if you uh, want to. Florida Unless House. it was a bad experience. And no, no. I wouldn't Florida House in Florida was my first one. I think I did about three months there. And three years later, I went to Warrior's Heart in Texas. And I'm back two weeks. Now, they tried to get me to go to the Florida House, and they sold a pretty good product. Oh, they They, sure do. They sold a pretty good product. the one the duck step pushes? Yeah, that's it. That's it. It's got a gym and all this stuff. I don't want to go down to Florida. I don't like Florida anyway. It's where you go to die. It's God's waiting room. God's waiting room. Oh, my God. (laughs) Let's just say it reminded me of Princeton House. Well, which is where I was, which is where I was. Um, I tell this story very frequently and, and I don't know if it's the same across the board, but they feed you really well, but for something, whatever they put in the food, you can't expel it and it becomes very uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. Stool softener. That's, that's they wouldn't give one. it to me. <clears throat> really? And I was begging them for it. Look, I would, if they had crack and, and Metamucil, I would have snorted Metamucil. Duralex. They handed it out like Tic Tacs. Oh, uh, and so that proves that there's something in the food. They want you to be that uncomfortable. I know we're talking about something gross here, but you're both cops. Don't worry about it. You're both. Listen, it's, it's, you, you've all. I find it weird. What do you mean? Like, what kind of food do they give you? It's really good food, but for some, some reason you can't go to the bathroom. I think it's all preserved, maybe, like, because it was very salty. Yeah. Well, so it's, I feel comfortable talking about this in a room full of cops because we've all run into headquarters (laughs) ripping off our keepers. Absolutely. Yes. You know me. I've never had a problem with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you just go in your pants these days because it's, well, that's the diapers. Yeah. Listen, I'm 56. I, I, I can actually go in my pants. Yeah, I'm 56. <laughs> Kathy, tell the audience a little bit about you. Okay. Um, my name is Catherine. It's Ka- Catherine? <laughs> yeah. You Catherine. prefer Catherine or Kathy? It doesn't matter. I like both. Kathy, right. Catherine, either or. Kate, um, Katie, Catherine. Yeah. <laughs> I just get called asshole. Uh, I'm 30 years old. I've been a police officer for the past year, year and a couple months. Um, I have a 13-year-old daughter. And I'm, I work for the Blue Magazine as well for a moment of silence. I'm on the board. And what can I say? I mean, I, I love what I do. I love the job. I've always wanted to be involved in law enforcement. That's been my dream always. What yeah. attracts you to law enforcement? You know what? Um, I don't know. I just I just think it's badass, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> but Beat I do, a tough I, chick with yeah, a gun like, in the yeah, I love it. <laughs> and I, I love helping people. I always have. And you I drive just, a pickup truck, too? No. Mm, no. <laughs> that's, that's badass, you know. They call, yeah, we, call, we call it chick-ups. <laughs> but I just, I've always been so attracted to it. And my family, actually, I have family um, back, in, back home in Colombia. I have police officers too. So, so you're in Col- you're you could have gotten to another line of business that was much more profitable than police work. <laughs> you're from know, Columbia. But it's like Yeah, but it's, so it's you, there's no pension plan, but you know. I love it though. Yeah. It's okay. What's your favorite thing about being a police officer? Um really? <laughs> I don't know. Um you know what? It's a what excites question. me every day going lights and sirens. Oh yeah. <laughs> I love it. But you know, it's careful some, it, though, carefully. It's something different every day. That's <laughs> that's is. what really Definitely I like about it. You know, every day you you never know what to expect. You got an office job. You you know you're going in nine to five. Mm-hmm. You're pushing papers. You're doing it. Law enforcement is something different. You every think day. you're gonna go home early every day, but for example, last Saturday I left at ten o'clock at night. My shift was over at six, and I left at ten. I used to hate that. You get to, well. You're still you're still new. I'm still new. You're so. still new enough where that's kind of cool. No, but the only, the only time that you had it. to stay late is like when you had plans right after. Of course, you know, you're oh, going out. There, you get off at seven. You're going out to dinner at eight, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, you know. Yeah, and it always happens at six forty five if you're getting off yeah, at seven. That's literally... when you got to make that phone call home. Say, oh, plans are done tonight. Yeah. But, but the the nice thing about having you both here is I know Kathy, and I'm sure you have your your own suffering, but you you're mm-hmm. heavily involved in other people's suffering. Erica, you have a personal suffering story that I really want to talk about. So why don't you give, why don't you, let's get into your own little suffering story. You said you've been to two rehabs. Um, let's, let's start with your, your, your trip into Florida house. Uh, that started actually, uh, Danny kind of picked up on my signs. Um, I was in subliminal a- signs or did you come out and ask for help? No subliminal. Mm-hmm. Um, I had been withdrawing, not answering my phone. Uh, not coming into the office, 
And he called me in one day. I, I went in and he just saw I was a hot mess, um, meaning my hair was disheveled, my clothes, and he could tell I hadn't showered. And Again, body language. Yes. And then he was just asking me questions and then he broke me down and I just... Danny has a way to do it. And the person we're talking about is Danny DelVal, yeah. who, is, who is the owner and publisher of Blue Magazine, who has been a, such a good friend to us and, and really helped us out along the way when we needed help. And that's why it's important for us to get in here and talk about all these things. So what, what was your drug of choice? Or was it a drug or was it alcohol? Let's, let's start um, there. It was um, sleeping pills and Percocets. Percocets. And, uh, any kind of pill, basically. And um, I just any kind of to pill sleep. that would like calm you down. Yes, yeah. I needed something to calm me down, and sl- I just wanted to keep sleeping. And um, I had been suicidal before. I was hospitalized uh, in my teenage years. Um, I had my first daughter at fourteen, and I feel like ever since then I just had bouts of depression. But I would come back out. Was um, it like postmenopausal or? No, it was postpartum. Postpartum. Oh, postpartum. Postpartum. <laughs> postpartum. Uh, postmenopause. Postpartum. No. My, my bad. Thanks, no, Steph. at 14, yeah, no. Only in Zimbabwe do they go through <laughs> menopause at 14. <laughs> or Colombia. Or Colombia. Oh, no. oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> or Costa Rica. Uh, so <laughs> th- that's why you fit in so well to Moment of Silence. Yes. Because you know what it's like. And I know what it's like. I don't know if you know too much about my story, but I've been there as no. well, really bad, especially after my shooting. That uh, the, the the feelings that you're going through, I get them. You, I'm better. The world's better off without yes, me. Yes, my kids I'm, would be better off financially. I'm, I'm a burden. But the truth of it is, and we we learned this from a very good friend of ours. If you were on the job, everybody, every cop seems to think that. Well, if I just kill myself, then it, it, you know they'll get three and a half times three and a half times a salary, lifetime benefits and stuff. And it's not true. <clears throat> Right. It's really, it's it's a lie that we tell ourselves. It's the same lies that you're telling yourself with the world's better off without you. The world's not better off without right. you. The world's better off with you in it. With me for years, I think um, there was a term somebody said, um, I think it was called passive suicide. And it's like where I was putting myself in situations all the time where I was in danger. Uh, if there was a call and it was a, a man with a gun or three men with a gun, I would be the first one there because I was looking for it. I wanted that. And so I got respect and a reputation at work for being one of the guys and not being afraid. But the truth was I was doing those things because I wanted something to happen. Almost wishing that someone shot you. I would go to work every day and hope that something crazy would happen and I'd be gone. Well, there there was a movie years ago made with Dabney Coleman and it was it's called Short Time. And they, they kind of put a funny spin on it on a very serious subject subject. He his blood work gets screwed up and he thinks he's dying of some disease and he's gonna be dead in three months, but he his pension's not gonna pay out unless he gets killed in the line of duty. So he ends up doing all this dangerous stuff like you just did. And he always gets these awards because he comes out alive on the other side. So they put a funny spin on it. But I, I get it. Like I get it. You figure it's I always felt for me like a big giant coward because I couldn't. You know? So it would be easier for somebody else to do it for me. And that's, that's the thinking behind, yes. say, uh, suicide by cop, which we deal with all the time. And what, what's, so what, what was the worst time that that ever reared its head? Was then because uh, I remember I've taken up to five Percocets and like woken up and it's like, fuck. Didn't work. Why, why am I still here? here? Yeah. You know, and then trying to act normal. After, because then you're groggy and you're you're like not right, and then you're trying to act like you're fine, and that's the point where Danny had seen me, and he made some phone calls right there on the spot, and he got me. It was the day before Christmas. No, it was the twenty. No, it was the twenty fourth, and then he got me on a plane to Florida House on Christmas, the twenty fifth. I was on a plane. It's a depressing way to spend Christmas. Yeah, but that's the reason I didn't go down to Florida House because I would have been down there for Christmas. Yeah, we would have been there together, maybe. Yeah, well, you know, I didn't want to leave my kids. To be honest with you, I did not want to. I didn't want to leave either. I have three daughters. I mean, they're grown, but still, who wants to leave on fucking Christmas? Kids hurry up, open a present. Mommy's got to get on a plane. (laughs) But, But that ride down there, I know, I drove myself down to Princeton House. What was that trip like? 
because uh, I'm assuming it's going to be very similar. What was that trip like down to Florida? Well, being honest, since we're open and honest here, um, I flew down, so I got drunk on in the airport. One last hurrah. I just <laughs> didn't want to be anxious and have that feeling. So my thing is I always want to kill my feelings. So I got there. Um, they didn't do a breathalyzer, which is weird, but they did blood work and everything else. Um, did you have any pills with you on the, on the flight? No, no. I was too afraid because I didn't know what to expect. And I was afraid they'd report back to work, you know. So, um, but when they pick you up, that's when it started to hit me. Like, fuck, like I'm going to a rehab center. Like that's for losers. That's for addicts. Did you get that's, like a claustrophobic That's not me. Like, yeah. I'm yeah. not fucking one of these people. Like I'm different. <laughs> right. You know? Now, Kathy, you watched all this. Were you with Blue Magazine at the time? I remember when it happened, but I didn't really know Erica too much back then. Okay. But I was, I was there. I was in, in the, in the magazine, but I was just, I was just new. Yeah, yeah well, I was what, very new. What were your perceptions of it? I, was this the first time you ever seen something like this yeah. go down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually I didn't really know too much about it until like a couple of days later that I that Danny told me. But really, I wasn't really aware. No. Wait, did it did it scare you because you're trying to become a police no. officer at this oh, time? Oh no, no, no! I've never been scared. <laughs> no. Now I know you're lying. No, uh-uh. <laughs> because here's how I, I know you're lying. She tried to. to, to she I told get, me she was like, "Don't do it." I do a lot of these things, but I get really nervous. Do you remember that, Drew? You have that on yeah, camera. Yeah, because this is different. <laughs> you have that. Can we play that back? <laughs> this is different. Please. No, it's, so I a just, gun, a gun doesn't scare you, but cameras do. Yeah. Oh, okay. All <laughs> right. Or is it this face? <laughs> now we know. Now we know the weakness, right? <laughs> That you know, I, I I dealt with a similar situation in rehab. But a guy came in, you know, everybody parties one last time. That's one thing I never, I didn't do. I did not party last time. But this guy got so drunk, it took him three days. I don't know how much he drank. He, he was probably a walking three zero anyway. But it took him three days to come down from the alcohol, and you just smelled it coming out of the room. Anytime they opened up the door, you could smell the alcohol coming out of them. Like, and that that was at the point where I'm like, wow, you motherfuckers are real alcoholics. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah you guys You're are real drunk. But uh, the the pill thing I get, I get, it's it's all about numbing. You just want to, you don't want to feel what you're feeling. You almost want to desensitize your thing, yourself mm. to things. There, There's that point, but there's a threshold that you end up crossing where it's no longer numbing it, it's ending it. I feel like everybody asks, I always say we all have the same devils, just different levels. So you start with that level where you want to numb it and then you're suppressing everything, you're pushing it down, but then you get to a point where there's, that's not enough and you you just want to go to sleep. Like surgery excites me. Like I've had a, a rotator cuff replacement. I need another one. And I'm excited because I like That's that. That's such good sleep. That sleep is amazing. And I always tell them, let me sleep longer. And then colonoscopies. Just go get a colonoscopy. I did have one. Oh, it's great. A couple months ago. Yeah, it's she gets best one. sleep ever. She gets one every week now. Just don't, just don't eat. I wish. Just don't eat. And then I, I tell them, look, I'm not going to eat today. I'll be back tomorrow because I love to sleep. <laughs> But the, you know, yeah, George, but that prep for the colonoscopy. That's, oh, that's, that's horrible. That's bad. I could do without that. You that's bad. I want to. She's young. She's too young to even know this. Drew, write that down. That's the next show idea. Colonoscopy prep. Okay. That's a good one. So George Carlin actually put this very similar is the, your, your, your pain and your suffering when it relates to drugs goes on a seesaw in the beginning there are your, I'm sorry, your joy in your suffering. It goes on a seesaw. So in the beginning, ju- uh, drugs or any type of pills, alcohol, whatever it may be, it's very little pain and a lot of joy. And then what happens over time is that seesaw starts to turn. It starts to turn. And then all of a sudden you realize very quickly that it's mostly pain and very little joy. And that's when you know it's time to stop, right? That's when you know it's, you always want to try to keep it level not too much joy but not too much pain and i think we've all gone too far at that at some point in our lives now kathy you've seen this stuff does it sort of keep you away from the bad behavior or do you still exhibit the bad behavior i don't know no i guess you could say that um i learn from it i see other people's experiences so i kind of know what to expect and um i see it more Actually, like people at work, I see the signs. I see the way they express themselves, their negativity. So I guess it helps me. I I, I guess you could say that I've been lucky 
I guess, to be here and to see it from from its roots. Mm. So that's the way I see it. So, did, Erica, did you get anything really beneficial from Florida House, or you just you did your time? Um, I did get some tools um, in Florida House. Um, they have a first responders program, so I got more from the people in there, uh, meaning the other uh, addicts. Um, How about from a suicide perspective? Did you get any tools in there about that? I got tools on how to like be in the present and ground and try to snap my way out of it, like wake up from the funk. But I don't feel that I understood why. That I think I gained at Warrior's Heart. It was two different programs. They were both good in their own way. But I feel that Warrior's Heart was more beneficial to me understanding my own mind and feelings. So you you went, there were three years between your two rehabs? Yes. So you get out, I guess, I'm assuming you relapsed. Yes. That's what I was going to say. What pushed you to go to Warrior's Heart? Was it a relapse or was it? Uh, What pushed me there, I think, honestly, is like uh, issues at work. Um, issues in my marriage, uh, me not working the program, not going to meetings, uh, not going to my therapist anymore, um, not taking my medications religiously. And well, you especially need to read this book, this 14 14 and second. I'm going to tell you why, because Charlie, Charlie has been, Charlie was a correct, when he moved to Nebraska, he became a corrections officer. That's sort of how we're tied in to him very closely. But Charlie was an addict when he was younger. And you'll find out very clearly why he was an addict in here. But he's been sober for 30 years plus, wow. somewhere around that's there. Amazing. But he still works the program. He you still works the program. And that's interesting because I've heard the term plenty of times. I don't work the program. I just don't ever want to go back to rehab. (laughs) (laughs) I I was that kid who got scared straight. But um, so you get out of Florida house and maybe it gave you a tool or two to ground you, to ground you, to just not run so quickly to your inevitable end. Because I hate to tell you, Erica, you are going to die one day. It's inevitable. (laughs) There's no reason we got to hurry it up. Yes. You know? Don't, um, don't speed up the process. Don't yeah. Listen, it's coming for us. No matter what, we all have an expiration date. So you you get out, and I'll bet you when you got out, I'm never doing it again. I'm cured. I'm oh, yeah. good. What was the first time that you relapsed? That you went back in with the pills? I think it was after my shoulder surgery because I got the Percocet again, which is horrible because it's perfectly legal, and I needed, and then. You just have extra, and then one day you're having a fight with your significant other, and then it's like, you know what, well, fuck you. And then I'm the type that I, I self-sabotage by inflicting pain on myself rather than you. You sure we're not brother and sister? <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll take, like, you know what, well, fuck you, so I'm going to take five and, you know, hurt myself, basically. Yeah. You got to wash it down with some liquor, too, if you really want to go full bore. Oh, yeah. I have. How, oh, how yeah. does this make you feel? I'll take five Percocet. You know, I hope you're happy now. Yeah, you know, like yeah. you said, it's self-sabotaging And it's yourself. like, I just don't want to feel this. And then I'm in La La Land and I'm happy. I'm listening to music and I'm sleeping. And But then when you, but the, the problem with those painkillers, because I got hooked on it after shoulder surgery. I got three months and it, he said, take it as prescribed. So that's what I did. I listened to the freaking doctor and I took it as prescribed. And next thing you know, I'm like, well, I got to get back to work. So I better get off this stuff. And I try to just stop cold turkey because we're cops. We're, we're idiots. And, uh, yeah, that didn't work out so well. Yeah, no. I, didn't, I knew what junkies felt. Did you add the muscle relaxer? I'm sorry, not junkies. Hold on. Again, getting back to Charlie, that's no longer junkies. I had a problem. I had an addiction. Yes. So. And then you add the, the muscle relaxer here. The Mine was Klonopin and alcohol because I became a real cheap oh, really? date. Yeah, no. Yeah, which is really super dangerous, just so you know. You, like, please do not, do not do that. Klonopin intensifies alcohol. So two, three Klonopin, I you drank half as much. Cheap date. I am a cheap date. <laughs> Five Klonopin and some alcohol, I was a really cheap date. And if I really wanted to go full bore, that's when the handful came in. And that was that was one attempt. That was gotcha. one attempt. Yeah. Uh, so you get out, you relapse with some after shoulder surgery. I know there's addicts that will never take painkillers again. 
and they'll just live with the pain. Because when you get off those, and that's something I wanted to talk to you about, especially with painkillers. When you did finally stop, how bad did it hurt? Honestly, I it didn't hurt me that much because they were supplementing me at Florida House with something else. I don't remember what it was, but I didn't feel it. And also, I was in the environment with Gen Pop, so I was watching my back all the time. My hypervigilance kicked up. So I feel like that numbed the feelings also. And then I was so angry that I was there because it was a locked facility and I didn't know that till I got there. So the rage is my go-to. So me flipping my bed and throwing shoes at the staff, that got me over that hump of feeling, I guess, the detox off the pills. Because I so remember- you were a model patient then. Oh, they loved <laughs> flipping me. Flipping your bed, throwing shoes and- yeah, I was a mess. I remember coming off of them and your pain receptors awaken and that the pain, it's just like, oh God, everything hurts. But I did something similar when I went to, I forget where it was, but it, I know it was St. Clair's in Denville. So I went to the psych ward. It was after after an attempt and then security, all I wanted to do was get some sleep. So I, I closed the curtain. Well, you can't close the curtain. And they kept coming and opening up and the lights would shine in my eyes. And then I become real belligerent. And then there's security guards that start surrounding me. And I start laying into these security guards. You rent-a-cop motherfuckers. Square badge. Square badge, <laughs> you piece of shit. You can't get a real job. I was really mean to these people. Oh, to yeah. the point where I had to go back and, like, after I cleaned up, I went back and apologized. I'm like, look, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But that's what it does. It, it, yes. We're putting, we're sitting here as four rational individuals and we're See, putting- thank God he went back and apologized because that's now how he lives in in the psych ward because that's where he actually lives. Because <laughs> yeah, I'm around him too he's, much. He's just like on release today. <laughs> they let me out like once a week. You get a pass. I get a pass. But um, we're rationalizing totally irrational behavior because we're removed from it. We're removed from it. So that, but we'll- it's real. It's going on to people every day out yeah, there. Yeah, it know? is <clears throat> because you 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 make your own reality at that point, and that's kind of what. You did. So walk us down the path. You had a three-year process. It started, how, how soon after you get out of Florida House did you start taking pills again? Two years. Oh, so you, you had two, you had a two-year run. Was it, yeah. was it difficult at any time? Did you almost slip? No, because I still drank here and there socially. But if I did take a pill, like you said, uh, after that, right? I remember taking a pill at the boxing match. Oh, yeah. I had taken a pill and then I had like literally like two drinks, I feel like, and I was falling all over the place. So I I would tell myself, never drink when I'm out. You know what I mean? Or don't or don't take a pill with drinking. With drinking. So I would like make deals with myself. Like, all right, you could take a pill tonight if you don't drink. Or you could drink tonight if you don't take a pill. Vice versa. Yeah. Like making those deals because remember, I'm not an addict. No, No, no. But addicts are real good at justifying their their behavior. Yeah. Really good. Well, I only do this. I'm, I'm only going to drink tonight. I, I can handle this. I'm only going to do this once. Well, once turns into twice, so mm-hmm. forth and so on, and which ends you into Warrior's Heart. Right. Um, Warrior's Heart was Brad. You know, mm-hmm. um, he had noticed my behavior at, uh, we did a commercial the or video. something. The video. And That's the, okay, the Mike video and I were about that. Yeah. They cut Mike out of I it. I think I asked you guys if you wanted something to drink. That day. Like, I know like I asked drink, Brad, drink? Yeah, and Brad was like, we don't drink. And I was like, okay. <laughs> oh, gee, thanks, Brad. Speak for me. Good job. You didn't ask me. I would have taken one. Yeah. <laughs> so I think one day I was uh, on a couple pills, and uh, I think I was drinking, and I forgot how it happened. It's blur, but we were talking on the phone, and then the next day he was calling me, and I wouldn't answer. Because now I'm okay. So I don't need to. You're in the beginning of the video too. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And then he came to my house. I don't know. He must have asked Danny where I live. I don't know how he knew where I live. Now, if people don't know Brad, he's like 6'6". He's a mountain of a man. I don't know. What? Like 350 pounds. He's taller than 6'6". So I had only seen him that one day at the shoot. And he comes knocking on my door. My my son-in-law lets him in. He comes straight to my room. Um, he's like, I thought you were dead. We're leaving right now. You're going to warrior's heart. And I'm like, the fuck I am. And now this huge guy and I'm this little thing. And I'm like arguing with him how I'm not going. And he looked at me. He's like, I will pick you up and I will take you. 
And then I remember my husband tried to come in the room and then he closed the door on his, in his face and was like, I need to talk to her. And my husband saw how big he was and just turned around and left. <laughs> like, I what if he was I there for nefarious murdered. purposes? I know. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, sure. Thanks, there. hon. Thanks, hon. And th- he got my plane ticket paid. He got me. He got me there. Basically, he got me to Warrior's Heart, where he had been, and um, it was mostly Marines and uh, Army uh, men. There were about fifty men, and I think it was five of us women. And oh, jeez, can you imagine? Maybe we should do the whole episode on the suffering of being the only woman in that no uh it's not like that they were all like brothers and everybody i promise you like you would think it's like that it is not it wasn't like that in front of you no i hate to tell you i but know we always say the same thing well, no, it wasn't guys, like that in front of you guys went to their bunks that night yeah i was there for three months and they were like brothers and i really understood we do need to do a show about rehab because there's so much i have to say about oh there's ton- yeah there's tons of stuff there's so much now when you went back into when you went to warrior's heart was it still the same suicidal ideology going on was it still there it was, was that- starting okay it wasn't full-fledged like it was when i went to florida house that that was the like i was there yeah um but i recognized that it was starting and then i have a grandson coming along and that's what kept me from going over the edge so i was like i do need help i need to clean myself up before he gets here you know and um warrior's heart was very different i expected it to be like florida house so i was very on guard but it was very different it was more of a family you know speaking of that um we we deal a lot with mental health on this on this program. That's basically the suffering podcast. We're going to break it down to its most basic elements. It's, it's mental health, but something that goes hand in hand with mental health is your physical health. And we just want everybody to take a look at X body. So going hand in hand with mental health is physical health. Go, go over to X body in Wayne. They'll do things like the IV infusions. They'll do testosterone therapy. They'll do gut checks. They'll do bone density. They'll do physical therapy. Things to things to get your body in shape so you can start focusing on your mind. So go ahead and take a look at X Body. Follow us on Instagram. We'll put a link to our show notes. So did did they have a place for you to work out to to keep, get your body healthy along with your mind? They really did. Yeah, they had that. They had um, canine, which is you go and you help out with the dogs. You help to train them. Dog therapy, nice. and they like dog therapy is good. It's amazing. Yeah. And then they get adopted out by uh, warriors. Uh, People who are there or people who need service dogs and they're certified. The combat and, veterans. And- exactly. And you're involved with that process. And you, if you chose to do that, you can purchase the dog as well. Really? That's if you nice. get attached to a certain dog. I would take home every dog. I would yeah, take, home every, exactly. All of them. I'd take home <laughs> every dog. They're amazing. And what's great is like, let's say you started flipping out because he stole your candy bar. I flip out on him all the time. <laughs> they would uh, bring the dog to your dog that you've been working with to you to calm you down. So if you get nervous in here, just flip out on Mike. It, he'll, he'll take it. <laughs> Who so are you going to bring in here to calm me down? <laughs> I'll give you a candy bar. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. We'll cut, yeah, it, it'll all work out in the end. But that's great though because it's a facility where you you felt accepted and i'm telling you right now the guys had things going on in their mind it's, it's we're guys it's just gonna happen i hated it at first because there were only five cops there there was five cops and then five women but the women were all in uh the army or various branches of and it was mostly marines so they kept talking their jargon and i felt completely lost yeah, you have nothing in common there. at that point yes because and now i know how people feel when we're all around talking our 10 codes and whatnot <laughs> they don't understand what we're saying well but i've the been first so time, i've been retired for like almost nine years so i'm i am now a more civilian than cop and i translate for people oh, there you go yeah, i'm a translator but for the first time i see how people feel when that's happening you know but um but i bet you change your bedside manner oh yeah i was on my work. p's and q's for no for police work you you know what it's like to be in a locked facility. Oh, over there, absolutely. Because yeah. I would say, well, there is a heroin addict. I would never be friends with a heroin addict. They're they're addicts. That's who I arrest. And I ended up becoming friends with a heroin addict, a very close friend, and she is the smartest woman I've ever met in my life. Really conniving. She could get <laughs> yeah. what she wants. Most but of them are smart. 
And then it changed my Any woman can get whatever they want. Stop (laughs) with that. Any woman. They got this magical power over all guys. They don't realize it. Yeah. Uh, but that, that's that's great. So you you get out, you do the program. Forget it. What's changed? Uh, what changed is that I it changed me in the way that I don't judge people anymore because that, as they say, addict. I don't want to say crackhead. Um, in the street that I used to look at and and feel a certain way about a, a judgmental way. Look now down I'm on like, them. I ha- I could have the same problem they have. And I just thank God, by the grace of God, I'm in this position and not that position. You're one. You're one step away. Just exactly. gonna say the same thing. We're all one step away. One domestic at any point. away. Yeah. From losing your job. So. Now, do you 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 don't live in the town you work in? Hell no. Okay, because <laughs> I live in the town I work in now. Oof. So, and I deal with the police a lot with my current shit job. Where you eat? What is wrong with you? Yeah. Well, no, no, no. I wasn't a cop. I wasn't a cop in the town I live in now. But oh. I work in the town I, I live in now, and the cops have been to my house couple times when i was tying it on and you know my belligerent self just <laughs> I, right in front of him i'm like yeah what are you going to do about it what are you going to do about it i lived in a town i worked in i used to walk to work every day i lived a <sighs> half a block from headquarters oh jesus it was terrible so how did how did you both, convenient but terrible how did you both get involved in in moment of silence so for those of you who don't know moment of silence we we it works on blue suicide we yes. work to to erase this this epidemic all right because at one time, we all get down on yourself, and if the normal person is lost to suicide, because it's not commit suicide, it's we lose each other to suicide. It's just a suicide. When blue suicide happens, it, I, for some reason, it just, I don't know, maybe because I'm tied into the police community, it just seems a little bit more tragic, because these are people who are put in charge of helping other people, and we're really good at mm-hmm. helping other people, but yep. we're really bad at helping they're, ourselves. They're the strong people that are supposed to be protecting everybody and and. We're eating all our feelings mm-hmm. and officers become suicidal and that's the strong person that's supposed to help you. And meanwhile, they're not helping themselves. So Kathy, give us a window and I'm sure you've spoken to enough people who have tried it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Give us a window into what the mindset is of, of an officer who is contemplating suicide. Oh man, I have heard so many stories. I don't even know where to begin. I mean, everybody... The person you least expect is probably going through something that you don't even know. Like, for example, Erica. Erica is a perfect example. When I first met her, I never in a million years would I have thought that, you know, she was suffering deep inside. Um, and we all have guns, too, which is makes which it is, real easy. Which makes it yeah. easier. Because the other ones are usually just attempts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're just attempts. Well, well, the gun part, to me, all I kept thinking is my kids are going to have to clean this up. You ha- you're very fortunate. You're, I'm going to tell you why you're very fortunate because you had that forethought. Because when my gun went in my mouth, I was in my house. I was downstairs while everybody was upstairs sleeping, thinking, you know, same thoughts. They're they're better off without me. I never once thought about that. Who, who did we have on the show? I, I think it was a sniper. Oh God! He, when he, he said he, he wants he, to be courteous, so he goes out and gets a shower. He curtain. gets a shower curtain. Because he didn't want to make the room a mess. Oh after well, no, he, he, his plan was to go get a shower curtain and a bottle of Jack Daniels. And he was going to drink and then he was going to do it. But he, he got the bottle of Jack Daniels and forgot the shower curtain. So he didn't do it. Yeah. Like that was his thing. That was why he didn't do it. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's uh, yeah, Steve. We can't say Steve's yeah. last name. but um, Steve the, the sniper. Steve the sniper. Right? Wow. <laughs> but, yeah, that, so you'd be courteous. But I, I didn't have that forethought. You're, you're fortunate that you had it. I think if we took a poll of how many officers tasted their gun, mm. it'd be more than 90%. I still remember it. That's I, so scary. I still remember what I it I think people like. don't admit it, but if you got in a room and really got down to people who don't give a fuck what anybody else thinks, and we talked about our fucking feelings raw and out there, they would admit it that they've tasted it at some point in their career. So Mike and I go to, we haven't in a while because of the, pandemic the pandemic but we go to group therapy and it's one place where we feel safe about that and we do it in such a way that's probably not the healthiest because yeah. we joke about it more than anything else mm-hmm. um you know everybody's afraid of doing it and and doing it wrong you know because then you then you screw yourself up for the rest of your life like if i do it i want to do it right but you've been on as, as police officers we've all been on enough suicides and we see the aftermath which is shocking to me that we would even think about continuing to do it. 
And just so you know, I, I just pulled this statistic today off of bluehelp.org. It's as of 20, on 2022, as of today, there's been 62 suicides, blue suicides, wow. as of today. And I think the highest was in 2019, which again, I think that's got something to do with lockdown. We were at 249. So we are, I think we're 0.3 or 4% higher than the national average of any other profession. So why? Like why why is it is it the stress from the job? Is it the shift work? Is it the the what you see? If you had to think of some reasons why blue suicide is such at an epidemic level, what do you think it would be? Honestly, uh, for no, me No, you can lie to me. It's the <laughs> c- the stress of I think internal uh structure which is uh, the people that we depend on to guide us are so afraid of sh- social media and everything like that. They make our job harder. Like if you're doing your job, you can lose it quicker. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that stress, plus then you have home stress. Everybody hates the cops now. That's an added stress. And what we see, we stuff it down because if we saw a dead body or something, we'll joke about it. We'll go drink about it. But we're not talking about it. See, that's what we call fill in the glass. Every time you see something, you keep filling a glass with water and filling a glass with water. Sooner or later, if you don't help yourself, that glass is going to spill over. Well, if you weren't such a dickhead, you would have been here for my opening and you would have heard. That's how I, that's how I spoke about it. Well, you're afraid to do openings in front of me because you stumble on yourself all the time. You look <laughs> well, like an idiot. One of the statistics that I threw out, and I actually threw it out in, in the Moment of Silence video, mm-hmm. is the average person sees one, maybe two critical incidents throughout their life. The average police officer in a 20-year career sees about 800. So take your worst day. If you're a civilian out there listening to this, take your worst day and multiply it by 800. And that's the normal life of a police officer. But we're all, we all have that glass, right? This is, this is the normal amount of suffering that you can take in your lifetime. And then for me, anyway, what put me over the edge is my glass was, was up there and one incident right over and I broke and I did, I broke and Mike broke. And it sounds like you broke. That's what that's what happens. But where do you go for help? You're the one helping people. Where do you go? You gonna exactly. go? You gonna go to your boss and say, "Hey, listen, I'm because then you're damaged goods." Exactly. You know, yeah. and and that's one of the problems. Is like I said, the stress we see as police officers every day, day in and day out. Then you said going home to the family life, the stress there. We eat all that because we're afraid to talk to anybody, even if it's in your department. Because then you're going to be damaged goods, and then you're going to be that person, you know, and you're, you're going to be bitch. labeled. Yeah, you can't take it. Put well, on that, a rubber, yeah. rubber gun squad, and well, he is a bitch. <laughs> Sometimes my bitch. Now you deal with people that are suicidal, like almost through what you do with Blue Silence and Blue Magazine. How do you? You got to take those feelings in onto yourself at some point, don't you? In a way, I do. I can say I'm pretty strong-minded. In a way, so I I try my best to learn from it more and not let it get to me. That's for sure. I have learned a lot in the last is it, four is, years. Is it more like the satisfaction of helping someone also yeah. that like mm-hmm. that keeps you going and, yes. and striving? Yes, because I know that I could help somebody later on. I still have thir- uh, 29 years to go. So <laughs> I know at some point I'm going to be able to help someone and. I hope I don't get to that point. I was going to say, in the long run, it's going to help you out yeah, with, exactly. with your 29 years because you only have a year on and you, yeah. your glass <laughs> didn't start getting filled yet. Yes. So the, the question I have for you, Kathy, is is you've seen all this stuff. And let's say you get into that mindset. Are you going to have the fortitude and the resiliency to ask for help yourself? Do you yes. think that you would be able to do that? I would think so because I'm pretty open. Yeah. I'm pretty open and um, I think I, I would. I will look for help. Absolutely. I really think I would. It's God, this is, this subject sucks. Yeah. I gotta be honest with you. This subject just sucks, but it's an essential subject mm-hmm. that we need to talk about. At, at least, you know, the resources yes. to talk to people now, if you, if God forbid you're ever feeling like That's that. why I feel, I guess you could say lucky in a way because I, I've got, I've got all this knowledge before I even got on the job. Because I've been seeing it. I've been with the magazine and with Moment of Silence for the past. It's four years, actually. Two, two days ago. <laughs> four oh, years. Happy anniversary. Well, <laughs> we all need to get out. We all need to get out and yeah. enjoy ourselves. But we need to, like Eric was saying, mm-hmm. we need to have that open, honest discussion. 
Hey, listen, just I want to throw it out there. One of our sponsors is Grand Saloon. Mike and I have been there. We go there. We'll just sit there and talk stuff out. And it's right in Clifton. It's a nice little family restaurant. And that's 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 what we all need as police officers. Yes, we go out and we drink, but we really don't get into it. We really don't get into it because I, I don't think I don't think I, I would be able to. I would be able to. But with with group therapy that Mike and I go to, that's one of the few places I ever felt normal because I know they're all as fucked up as I am. Maybe I was a little bit more fucked up. Everybody's wow. Fucked now, up. when when you were going through your problems, did you talk to any of the, like state police or state PBA psych doctors or anything like that? Absolutely or not. You wouldn't no, kept your department totally out of it. Totally out of it, because uh, you you just have to tell them you're out sick and you're going for help. You don't have to give them the whole reason for it. Well, you are you're in a department. You're in a, you're in an anomaly. So you're, I know the department you're in, it's large and it's, it's got some perks when it comes to sick time, mm-hmm. the smaller departments who don't have that luxury, who can't hide yeah. in a, in a large department. It's one of the benefits of working in a larger department because you, as long as you're not first and you're not last, you can sort of hang out in the middle yes. there and not be seen with a smaller department. Like Mike and I were involved in, there's no hiding. Yeah. If you, if you got to take some sick time off, you're causing overtime. Now that's going to cause some shit. But that's the thing with moment of silence that we want to bring it to the forefront where the the people that are in charge there in those small departments can make it okay. And that's the thing. It, it's the good old boys mentality where you suck it up and that's it. That's caught. It, it's contributing to the suicide rate. Rub rates. some dirt on it. Those so, days are, like I said, the, right. these departments don't, I don't want to say they don't care about mental health, but they don't put enough emphasis on mental health. Like I said, they, you're just labeled as damaged goods. You went to your chief and said, you know, I'm having some issues mentally now. Now you're that damaged goods and that's not how it should be. And that's what we it need to change happen. the infrastructure so that our younger generation mm-hmm. doesn't have to suffer. Like if you go to a horrific scene, give me the day off. Give me time off right after a suicide. I got to go to a domestic. I got to go to the, a casualty and an MBA. Like give me a break. So how do we change it? By Doing what you're doing, yeah. getting it out there, and hopefully our chiefs will see this and take it seriously and care enough about their men and women that they want to keep everybody safe and not Very make few it, of them do. And not make it uh, uh, such a, I don't want to say a closet thing, but like to be ashamed. <laughs> don't ask, don't tell kind of thing with well, suicide. You know, I, I, the chiefs may see you as a liability. Once you, you know do that, yeah. yes, you're yeah. a liability, and the chiefs don't want to. But they need to realize that they, that's they what's need to realize the suicides. Yeah. Yeah. That's so horrible. And it, and do they want that body on their conscience? Exactly. <laughs> they don't care. I I can't say all of them. I won't say all of them because that's overgeneralization. But I know a lot of them. I know a lot of them that really don't care. They're less concerned with safety and more concerned with liability, like Mike said. Mm-hmm. And sure. that's that's a sin, but there's programs out there. Moment of silence. Give me a window on how you would help somebody get through these horrible thoughts. Uh, with moment of silence, well, obviously, so blue suicide comes into it. Blue suicide is within moment of silence, but it's its own separate entity. And pretty much what we do is that we try to help you. We try to, and if we can't help you, we'll find somebody that can help you. That's a Henry and, Ford thing. I don't know all the answers, but I know where to find yes. them. Yes, yes. So that's what we're all about. And um, we've been trying to get the word more out there, um, doing different. Now with the video that we just um, released not too long ago, the film that we did, um, we put it on YouTube. And we just want to spread the word to say it's okay not to be okay. We did a show just on that. It's okay to be, you know, to say you're not okay. Yeah, it is. The stigma needs to end. It's because we're, we're macho cops. You know, mm-hmm. even even females. I don't, are, I don't think they're macho. No, I'm saying females <laughs> in law enforcement. It, it's it's. I don't want to say a tough guy attitude or a tough girl attitude, but we're supposed to be the big strong protectors. You know, and, and we could you, still be that. You still can be, but you should be able to show weakness. Exactly. There's yeah, it's nothing okay. wrong it's, with it's that. It's okay to cry. Mm-hmm. We're human beings. There's nothing wrong with that. I never cry. <laughs> I do it in my room. Go but. outside. I'll make you cry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey now. <laughs> I just want to say one thing. Um, with, call me ugly and everything. That's what it is. <laughs> with blue suicide, um, if you contact us, if you're feeling like you want to go to rehab and you are afraid of your department, 
Come to me personally, uh, come to us, and we will find a way. I'll fucking tell your department you have an eating disorder, you're a sex addict, something. It's, it's all other, confidential when they go there. Yeah, other than, you yeah. know, opiates and alcoholism, so you're not labeled. Because it's, it's uh, more well-received if you are a sex addict or a gambler than it is if you're an alcoholic. By far. So we will fucking find a way, find a loophole, mm-hmm. and we will get you the help you need. I, I've given Absolutely. out my personal email on on air plenty of times, and, and I'll, I'll do it again because I'm stupid sometimes. This bites me in the ass more than you think it does. Small dick at all. <laughs> <laughs> Mike's always on his knees. At, no. Uh, <laughs> if you're having these thoughts, and I'm dead serious here, if you're ever having these thoughts, I've been there, so I come from a place of understanding it. You can reach out to me at kdonaldson at thesufferingpodcast.com. But let everybody know how we can reach out to, if you're in need, if you're an officer in need, how can they reach out to Moment of Silence, Blue Suicide, or any of those places that you go? Give us some information. Okay. Um, you can reach to me. Uh, my email is Catherine with a C at thebluemagazine.com. And Blue Magazine and, has a, has an Instagram presence. They have a Facebook presence yes. and a Twitter presence. Uh, yes, we um, do. And we also that. have uh, bluesuicide.org as well as momentofsilenceinc.org. All right. So are, they, are there websites for those? Yes. There's websites. Those okay. The websites. So we'll put those websites in our show mm-hmm. notes. Just you don't one have, more thing. You don't have to raise your oh, hand. Sorry. I'm used to rehab. Uh, yes. yes, young lady. Yeah. I'm institutionalized. <laughs> <laughs> um, if anybody has a problem, like let's say you want to go beat your wife up, you're having a domestic <laughs> or some shit. Call us first. We'll go pick you up so go that beat you don't get you. arrested. <laughs> you know, we, we do that. Yeah. We're like a family. We'll help anybody do anything. Well, like, no, if you go beat their wife up, then, no, it's, then a, it's an assault and it's no, not a domestic. I'm not going to beat her up. I'm going to stop him. I'm going to pick him up and take him to a diner and talk to him so that he doesn't okay. lose his job <laughs> or her, she doesn't lose her job. Right. Like we do those kinds of things. If you need just somewhere to go and sit, one of us will go and sit with you. Um you know, we are armed. Don't forget that. So don't try anything. <laughs> I, but the one that I know off offhand is at thebluemagazine.com on Instagram. That one I know off the top of my head. And from there should be a jumping off point to the other one. The Instagram? Yes. Yeah. Should be a jumping off the point. The bluemagazine.com literally yeah, spelled out. Spelled out D O T C O M. So we're coming to the end of this thing here. And I ask all the guests the same question. I'm going to start with you, Kathy, is the, the, the suffering that you've seen. And I'm sure you have personal suffering, although we didn't get into it because you're, mm-hmm. you're shy and you're scared. She's <laughs> still scared. You're still scared. What do you think all this suffering that you've seen has taught you? Um, it has taught me to always, you know, try to get help, look for help, um, that it's okay to get help. <laughs> It's taught me a lot of things. Um, I guess I, to see the signs, see it in other officers, um, co-workers, and just try to help people, try to be there for them, and never forget about myself, too, because I might get lost along the way as well, but I'll try my best. Well, now you have our number, so. We, we, all, step, <laughs> we, we all step off at, to- at yeah, times. Yeah, we do. You know? Call me. I got GPS. Don't worry about it. You're not getting <laughs> lost. We're not going to let you slip through the cracks. Erica, you've really been through the ringer. Twice. Twice. <laughs> no more thir- three strikes, you're yeah. out. Three no. strikes, you're out. So what do you think that's taught you? It taught me, like I told you before, uh, we all have uh, the same devil, just different levels. Uh, not to judge people. Because like you said, we're one mistake away. Uh, it taught me that compassion for myself and understand that if I knew better, I would have done better. And it taught me to teach as many people as I can what I've learned and not to be afraid to talk about my fuck ups and, and, and just be me. And if you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. You know, it, it's funny because we have met a few times. I I never knew your like real suffering story like that. So just look at you. Who's going to open up to you? I don't know if you if you if I just wasn't seeing the signs or we're very good at hiding. Yeah, it. very good I'm at hiding. Sure, it. you were very good at hiding. It. I'm not so much anymore, and it's so I, I talk about when we when we eat our feelings, and we don't go home and talk to our spouses or our significant others. It, it, that was always seen as how cops dealt with everything, but is it really the right way? I go out and I'll, I'll go on 
shows or I'll talk. I've talked at, at Blue Magazine events and bear my soul and cry and and really show a different side of me that I'm not used to showing. I was not like that when I was working. That's the way I want to be. That's the way I want to be remembered. I don't want to be that that stoic guy that never shows emotion because it's not healthy. It wasn't healthy for me anyway, and I'm sure it's not healthy for other people as well. But I thank you both for coming in here and talking about this. this is a really important topic topic for us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, thank you, thank you what for you, having us. What you ladies are doing with with Blue Magazine and what Danny started over there. I mean, mm-hmm. that's fantastic. It's it's a place that that cops in need could really go to and feel yeah. comfortable in doing. And we want to expand. We want to make it bigger. Well, we're always at your disposal. Mm-hmm. You know that. You call on us whenever you want. That you've helped us out, and we're going to continue because it's a it's a worthy cause that we really truly believe in. That both of us have, have are intimately involved in. So that's going to do it for this episode. If you like what we're putting out, don't forget to hit the like and subscribe button. And let's talk about all the stuff that we learned today. We are all one mistake away. The world's better off without you, which is the biggest line of bullshit ever spoken. We all have the same devils, just at different levels. But most importantly. Don't think you know everything, but know where to find it. And that's going to do it for this episode of The Suffering Podcast, The Suffering of Blue Suicide with Kathy and Erica. And follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Follow Mike at Mike underscore Felice. Follow me at Real Kevin Donaldson. Of course, follow The Suffering Podcast. And we're going to see you on the next episode of The Suffering Podcast.